Good afternoon, everybody. Today is February 13th, 2018, and this is SMB's Weekly Options Tribe webinar. For those of you who are here for the first time, uh, the purpose of the Options Tribe is to bring options trading experts from all over the world uh, to our community each Tuesday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time throughout the year in order to help you to improve your game as an options trader. I want to point out that SMB Training is not a broker-dealer, and we're doing these webinars purely for educational purposes. Uh, today's webinar will not contain any live or relevant position. Every position you will see will be hypothetical, computer-simulated P&L and, and pricing and so forth. And therefore, while it's an attempt at being as accurately represented as possible, it does not include the market factors of liquidity, slippage, and commissions. I also want to point out options trading is risky. Your online broker has a document which explains the risks of options trading. You should get that and read it. And if you decide to accept those risks, you should start out by backtesting paper trading. And if you then go live with real capital, go in with a, the tiniest amount of capital you can uh, so that you can start to get used to options trading without um, experiencing large losses while you're in the learning process and possibly missing certain concepts. And uh, execution issues that you'll later pick up on. So please do that. It'll be a very safe way to get your trading career started and you'll live to trade another day. If you go in and trade too large right up front, you're making a big mistake. I can virtually guarantee it. Um, very good. So uh, we over John. Uh, well, let me first say that our guest today is John Locke. Um, and uh, John, who all of you are very familiar with, will be talking about the bearish butterfly trade play to win john believe it or not we already have a question that's this is a first for options in the options tribe before anybody has said anything we have a question that's probably a pretty good sign <laughs> yeah, and, all right here we I go mean, so we have some interest now that's we good. definitely have interest <laughs> yes so um and that, that is after the correction i mean that that might i was hoping someone would ask about our disclaimer nobody's ever asked about that so uh, but no one's ever you say that every week and they don't ask about it they don't ask one thing about it so anyway after the correction do you feel that the bearish butterfly is a very good strategy to implement uh asks um yeah i mean it loves volatility right see the only the the only situation where i see it where it would be problematic is if we go back into the full-on bull grind where we you know we would make this uh you know 150 point up move in the russell but i Realistically, I don't see that coming, so I think it's a fantastic time to be in one. Yep. Very good. All right. It was, we'll it was even better to be, to be in one before the move. So. That's true. That's right. Yeah. That's the word bearish. So uh, anyway, I would like to um, ask you, John, to uh, share your screen uh, so you can do your presentation. I want to point out to everyone um, that we have a Q&A and we also have a chat. So anyone who wants to uh, ask a question, I'll be watching the chat for John, and I'll be watching the Q&A for John, and I'll put those questions to John once I see them. All right. Well, that sounds great. Well, thank you, everybody. And, you know, like Seth was saying, we're here to talk about the bearish butterfly. And, you know, we have the caption, play to win, and that's because... You, know, you can trade a certain. You can trade different ways. You can trade very, very flat delta, and you know, hope you don't have any big market event or whatever. Uh, you know, make a little bit of money uh, here and there, or you can actually trade and try and actually um, go for these bigger profits and so forth. And that's kind of what the bearish butterfly is all about. So, you know, let's let's talk about that, and. Uh, um, We'll go over the disclaimer, which Seth already did, so we're all set with that. So we will just uh, move forward. And if you haven't heard me before, I'll just quickly tell you something about myself. I'm a trading performance coach, a wealth coach, and success coach. And we provide training in success psychology, trading performance, system development, and business skills for both market neutral and directional traders. I am a professionally trained coach and a professionally trained master NLP instructor and hypnotist. And I'm also a certified transformational coach. So we work with the trades, yes. We know a lot about the market, yes. But we also know a lot about traders themselves. And you know, putting those two together can really help increase performance. Um, We'll be talking about the bearish butterfly today. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's a complex options trade that we use on the Russell 2000 index. And uh, 
there's several ways you could do a bearish butterfly. Uh, the primary way that most people usually use it is it's a slightly bearish bias monthly income trade. It could also be used as an opportunistic and somewhat directional income trade. It's a really good alternative to doing a bearish vertical. You have higher probability. You have a higher um, likelihood of making more money with the same amount or less risk. It's You can use it as a hedge on bullish positions. If you do that, it kind of comes out looking like an M3 or a bull versus bear trade. Um, and like I said, that's good if the market's overextended. And it's a good alternative to you covered call doing a covered call, say, if you have equities in an, in an overextended market, because you can make a lot more if the market actually does settle in a little bit. So um, we're going to be talking about this today as a monthly income trade. And according to the program, we'll kind of go over some of the guidelines within the program and, and give you a good idea how we do it. I actually have four trades. Uh, Examples, one of them's mainly just to show you how the trade works, and uh, the first two actually turn out fairly well. But actually, I think they, they probably all do. I don't really remember. Um, what I did is I just picked, uh, you know, we have the, the trade from 2014 that pretty much shows how it works, and then I just did three successive months in 2017. But 2017 was a pretty good year, so it's hard to find um, problems that year. There's, there was only one month, I think, that was really bad. Um, so... This trade has a 30% of planned capital high profit target. For those of you who don't know what planned capital is, it's a, a good representation of what you might have in the trade if you're fully scaled in. So most of the time, you're going to be significantly under the planned capital number. There are times where it may be exceeded, and we do have ways to keep the planned capital down, but usually for demonstration purposes, we let it exceed because we don't want to get too complicated. Um, so that's what plant capital is, and our profit target is uh, basically 30% of the maximum amount we expect to have in the trade. We do have a time where we reduce our profit target, and that's where we get close to expiration. We, this being a more of a condor-ish type trade, uh, you don't like to be too close to expiration because you get, your gamma gets really high, and we like to pull out with a decent profit and move on. We have a maximum acceptable loss of 30, uh, 30% of plant capital. So if you're going to trade this, the minimum capital required to do it would be $5,000 per trade. The trades often overlap, so you'd be looking at $10,000 account size, although you know, you really you can get away with probably 7500 because the trades don't over, usually, they don't usually overlap that much, but you know, we'll just plan for 10000 to be uh, to keep it um, to keep it real here, and the demonstrations are uh, going to be with a fifty thousand uh, dollar capital plant capital for a trade. So the principle behind the bearish butterfly is that the market typically runs in cycles. So we'll get an up move, we'll run sideways for a while, or we'll go down, or we'll get another up move, we run sideways for a while, we go down. And the trade itself is designed to take advantage of these cycles. So we get in, and depending on where we get in the cycle, if we get in up the top here, then we just trade with a very small amount of capital. We make as much money as we can. We hit our 21 days to expiration. We'll probably be out at some sort of a reduced profit target. If we get in midway, we get two-thirds scaled in. And in the pullback, if we're two-thirds scaled in, that is really our optimal scenario. You know, we like to... We like to put the trade on, bearishly positioned. We like it to move up enough to get the second third in. We like the market to stall and pull back a little bit. And in those situations, the trade gets up um, money very early, and it usually makes for a really good trade. If the market goes a little bit too far, if we happen to end up entering towards the bottom of the cycle, we get three-thirds scaled in. Again, that's okay, but you know your drawdowns start to become a little bit larger at that point. Uh, but you know, any kind of a pullback or a stall at that point, you, you, being three-thirds scaled in, you're a fairly large size. And because you're entering when the market's going up, you usually get in at really good pricing. So the, the pullback at that point is generally very beneficial. And again, you get near your profit target very, very quickly in that case. If you happen to have a larger-than-normal up move and you happen to get in near the bottom, well, that's the situation where you get three-thirds scaled in, and maybe you have to actually do some rolls to stay with the market. And, of course, if the move is too, too large, that's when you start taking 
your losses because as you start rolling things, you start actually getting some risk to the downside. And, and you know, that's when things become more challenging. It doesn't mean that you can't win the trade. It's just a little more risky to be in at that time. So, like I said, that's the way the trade works. Let's just show you um, what the results of the trade for 2017 were like. Now, um, you know, we have a profit target of 30%. We have a maximum loss of 30%. That's a planned uh, capital number, which is, for the most part, usually more than we have in the trade. It, we expect to win nine times. We expect to lose three times. If you did those numbers out, you'd win, um, you know, nine times 30% or 270%. You'd lose 90% uh, of that. So you'd be in the, in the, like, the 180 range or something like that. And... Uh, that's pretty much what we expect for the year. And again, that's a, that's a trade over trade total. In 2017, we ended up winning 11 times and losing once. The wins were a little bit less than expected, but, uh, you know, um, and we only had one loss, but it was actually, it was a full, full on loss. Most of the times you're going to be less than full profit target and less than maximum loss. Um, but, you know, not all the time. So this ended up being a little bit less of a percentage than we um, were expecting. But it was also a very bullish year. If you correct for overlapping trades, in other words, you're not using $50,000, you're using $100,000, you're looking at more like 71.89. So it depends on how you want to figure your numbers. The thing with percentages is they can be figured so many different ways and so many ways to manipulate them. It's, it's difficult to figure out what you actually have. I mean, some people do it on what's in the trade. I mean, some of these, if you do it on what's in the trade, you have 100%. Right, um, but that doesn't really tell you anything unless you use some sort of a consistent number for planned capital, and that's why we use a consistent number there. So, um, what we'll do is we'll we'll go over an example. The first one's just going to be on a PowerPoint just to show you kind of how it works, and then we're going to bring in Option View, and we'll do a few examples there. So, this is April 2014 expiration. We're entering it on 2-21-14, which is, happens to be 56 days prior to expiration. We are looking at a $50,000 planned capital number, a high profit of 15000 If we go to 21 days to expiration and we're 5000 or over, we want to get out. If we have a loss of $15,000, that's where we want to uh, exit the position because it's, you know, it's, getting, it's getting too nasty at that point. So... The bearish butterfly starts with a third of a position. So this is what we call a scaling-in trade. So it's a, and it's a price movement scale-in. You can scale in many different ways. You can do time scale-ins. You can do um, you know, price movement scale-ins and several others. This is a price movement scale-in trade, and it's a trade that progressively gets more negative delta. In other words, it leans into the pain. So you know some trades, you adjust them to reduce the pain. So... Um, you know, a lot of the broken wing butterfly strategies and so forth, or even an M3, um, as the market goes up, your delta gets too high, you flatten delta. Your delta gets too high, you flatten delta, which is really good in a trending market that keeps going. But you know, if you've been done that for a while and if you've done that for many years, if you do that in a really choppy market, it generally hurts. You generally don't work out too well. Where is if you if you take the the turn the going into the pain theory of the bearish butterfly here then um, you, you end up if the market reverses you end up doing very very well and you know we do that to a point with the bearish butterfly then at some point if the pain keeps getting worse we're going to end up having to start to reduce the pain after that and that's when the rolling sequence comes in so it's going to start as one-third of a position. We're going to enter 50-point wing butterflies. We're going to do that with the short strikes 20 to 30 points below the price. Uh, then we're going to, And when we enter, we set what we call a reference point. And uh, when we're 30 points over the reference point, we add the second third. We're 60 points over. We add the last third. Uh, if, we start, if we continue up there, we start rolling like every 10 points as a roll sequence and there are also some other things that go on in the background there are some delta theta triggers there are some changes that we make if we get very close to expiration but uh, from a general um, from the sky view looking down at the general trade that's generally how it works so if we have our april entry bearish butterfly we would enter that in february 
which is 56 days to expiration here. And again, this is doing it as a monthly income trade. There may be cases where you do it as a more opportunistic trade and you might take a price point um, um, entry or something like that. But this uh, is a standard non-technical entry. In other words, we're not looking at technical analysis at all. Um, if we do that, we're going to be using 20 to 30 points under the money to start with. We have our 50-point wings. Uh, you'll notice we only have about $10,000 in the trade, right? So we have a, we planned $50,000. We have $10,000. Our planned capital number is based off $50,000. And um, we also watch our delta-theta ratio. We generally, in this particular trade, if you're using it as an income trade, you're going to uh, you get one and a half thetas to one delta. You tend to um, that tends to be too much, so we like to to make an adjustment for that. So here is what an entry position might look like. Here's what an entry, entry trade look, might look like. Remember, our maximum loss is fifteen thousand dollars. I can't even hit fifteen thousand dollars in one third of a position. So um, there's really not much that the market can do to take me out at this point out of the trade until I start scaling it. Right, so um, so that's where we start, and the starting position being at eleven forty, it gives me add points at eleven eighty and twelve hundred. And if we go forward some, so this was when was this? This was February twenty one. Basically, sit in the position and do nothing until March third. Once March third comes along, we are over our add point, which I believe was. Actually, this isn't even at the add point, so this may not even be a good example, but we have three good examples coming up. Like I said, this shows the process. Um, we should be over 1180. This would be an add point. Unless I rolled. Did I roll? No, I didn't. 1180 would be an add point. We would add 20 points higher. And you notice that does increase our negative delta. It uh, also increases our theta quite a bit. Usually... When we add the first third, sometimes we're drawn down a little bit. Sometimes we're uh, actually up a little bit, but it depends on how fast it happens and what the volatility does when it happens. Uh, in this case here, we're down a little bit. We add that in there, and we end up with two-thirds of position like this. Now, the position now is even better to the downside. So if the market reverses, we have more negative delta. We have a wider tent. Uh, and it actually it responds very well with, with normal pullbacks. In the event the market doesn't come down or it continues to go higher, you know, we have another add point. We had, let's see, we had 1180. That gives us 12, uh, 1,200. So we got a 33-point-up move this day. That is not necessarily good. That's not what we wanted. Like I said, we would have preferred for to get entered two-thirds and to back off. That didn't happen in this particular case. We go to um, 10 points over our add point, which is fine, not a big deal. But um, we have the add point, and then sometimes we, when we hit the next level, we actually have to roll. So this is an example of adding in the last third here at um, 11.90 and then rolling the position up to uh, 1,200. At that point, if I have to do an add and roll, I do start to feel, you know, not only am I down a reasonably large amount of money, but I also start to take on some downside risk. This here, the position's still good. I still like it, right? So basically, second third's good, third third's good. The roll, you, you get drawn down, but um, it's not the end of the world. Again, if the market stops, the market comes back. Generally, you're doing um, you're doing fairly well. This is. Um, you know, this would be a perfectly fine position. If we went much further than this, we start to take on some downside risk in order to stay in the position, and that's when it gets starts to get a little bit more risky. But in this case here, we really didn't have anything. The market actually started to back off, and by the 12th, we are positive. And the really good part about being in three-thirds is if the market flattens out here, your money comes in really, really quickly. And you get your, your target numbers, and you can pretty much, uh, you know, do fairly well. So here, uh, March 12th, we're a little bit positive. By March 25th, we've come back, and no further adjustments were required, and we're up about $14,170. Now, this is just an interesting side note, and, you know, I like to exit at this point because we're not at profit target. 
But what has happened is we came back from an $8,000 loss, and now we're at almost $15,000. That's a $23,000 gain in the position value. That's, that's a big gain. Um, and we're also like marble at the top of the hill, right? So realistically, a big move in either direction here it's pretty much only going to hurt me. I'm kind of relying on it to stay there. Now, I could stay there. I could whatever. But generally, I like to, from a realistic standpoint, this is my favorite time to exit the trade. I mean, the profit target is just a number. Go ahead, Seth. Yes. Well, uh, we just we have a bunch of questions that have come in. Sure. This might actually be a good time uh, yeah. because this is sort of the final slide of your first trade, right? Yeah. I mean, well, I have a couple more because we let the trade go. But um, Oh, Okay. All right, yeah, but anyway, a good time, I think, though. Uh, so, uh, first of all, Albert S. asks, do you have any self-hypnosis resources that you recommend? Yeah, email us privately. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, he'll, you'll give an email at the end of the uh, presentation, right, John? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, LockingYourSuccess at, uh, uh, no, at gmail.com, LockingYourSuccess at gmail.com, lock with an E, and... Um, that's probably that'll go to Sherry and she can forward it to me. Okay, great. Uh, Albert S also asked, does the allocated cap capital of ten thousand dollars, which I guess he'd be talking about a two lot then. Well, uh, the allocated capital. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Exclude drawdowns. That's the question. Does does the allocated capital of ten thousand exclude drawdowns? I don't understand that question. Well, I think what he's trying to say is if you have drawdowns. If you have $10,000 in your account and you have drawdowns, can you still trade the trade or do you need a little bit more in the account so that Oh, I see. No yeah. Capital? So, yeah, cuz you can lose, right? So, if you start the trade, if you have $10,000 and you start the trade with a $5,000 trade and you end up losing, you're going to have less than 10,000. The real the reality is, is is a lot of times these trades don't overlap and I mean, you could get in a position where you might have to delay putting on one trade or something like that. Mm -hmm. But generally you know, I've traded these trades together with $5,000. So it can be done, and there's things you can do to reduce your capital and stuff. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if, if you, if you, um, you know, if you only have $5,000 and you take uh, $1,500 loss, I mean, first of all, if you only have $5,000, you shouldn't be trading with $5,000, uh, right? You should have, you, you should be trading a size that is representative of, um, of your net worth and, and your experience level. So, I mean, if you're, if you're not very experienced, you shouldn't be trading with that much money and that size might be too big for you. But, um, you know, but from a theoretical standpoint, if, if I only had $10,000 and I took two losses that I'd be down to, um, what, uh, $7,000, realistically, I could still trade this with $7,000 uh, and overlap them. Uh, but if I lost again, in other words, if I was in this continual uh, loss uh, thing, then at some point, yeah, you'd have to shut down, right? You'd have to go do something else. All right. Um, we've got another question, which is, is this strategy less risky than an iron condor? Well, that's funny because it defines, it, it depends on how you define risk. Um, you know, you, you get these really high probability strategies. And it also defines what, it also depends on what type of iron condor you, you, you're using. So, you know, I, from, from the perspective that um, are you taking a bigger risk with your invested capital with this or an iron condor, that depends on the iron condor you're doing. If you're doing, if you're, you know, I use this or I develop this as a replacement for, what's, uh, for, for a so-called high-probability iron condor. The challenge with a high-probability iron condor is that... You could only make. You had to risk a lot of money, and you could only really make a little money. And you know, if you took a a really hard loss on an iron condor, say you're doing a strategy where you're doubling your risk, uh, you know, rolling back and doubling your risk, and then the market went the wrong way, it gapped the wrong way, you might take out five or six months of income or something like that, or more. In other words, you could basically blow your whole year in one trade. Where this trade here, since it has a, such a high profit potential relative to what it can lose, um, 
you can take a maximum loss with this, or you can even exceed maximum loss if you get a you know if you if you get in a situation where you exceed your maximum loss and say you take a double maximum loss and you lose sixty percent of your capital you have in the trade. Realistically, this can make that up in two months if you have two good months after that. So, you know, I to me I see that as less risky than doing an iron condor or a broken wing butterfly or even an M3. But some other people have a different viewpoint on that. Right? All right. We have an interesting question from M. If you're willing to draw it down to 40%, does the winning probability drastically increase? Uh, yes, it does. Yes, it does. As a matter of fact, I personally use a 40% loss number on this when I trade, but I like to keep people in the 30% range. Yeah. And with that, I think it is a good time to say that people have to think about the reality of having a 30 or 40% drawdown on the capital that they would apply to the trade. And if you can't handle that, you know, you should not be trading whatever size that is that you can't handle. This is not, I mean, in my well, view, you, this have is to, not a, yeah. right. you have to, you have to trade to your loss number. So exactly. if you can only lose $5,000, you can trade a Say a fifty thousand dollar M three which has a maximum loss of five thousand dollars, but right. you would only trade one third of a size of a bearish butterfly. Right. Exactly. Right. So if you, as long as you're you're sizing appropriately, then this would be, then I would consider this the less risky trade. But if you're if you if you're if you're sizing the, the same planned capital, then this is the more risky trade. But right. if, if I'm trading to make five thousand dollars, I can do it with less capital using this trade. And if things went absolutely bad and, and whatever happened and you know and I died and the, the and the and I let the trade go and it ended up at zero, you know I have more money left from trading this. So that's a good point. Uh, if you're okay, how wide were the wings on the first entry? Mary asks. They're fifty. All right, fifty wings. Yeah. Alex asks. So, what would you recommend for people that are new to your strategies? The bearish butterfly M3 rock or M21? I have found, well, first of all, well, okay, so I have found that most, if you're coming from a background of being really conservative, most traders do better with the M3 trade. It's more in there. Uh, it fits their personality more. If you are a, uh, more of a directional trader or um, a higher risk type of personality, they, they greatly prefer this one. And in order to get into the M21 or, or the Rock Street series, these are kind of like prerequisites for that. So you'd want to trade these first. Okay. Next is, uh, in the current market condition, would you wait until the rut runs up 100 plus points before putting it on? Or would you put it on any day since it seems like a sideways market? In a sideways market, you may get to your favorite time, exit very quickly, possibly the day after you put the trade on. I don't think that's quite true, but anyway, you'll explain it, John. Would you yeah. exit? Would you exit? It might be a very small profit amount relative to profit target. That's from M. Well, the answer is no. Um, well, there's multiple questions there, right? So, realistically, whether you trade this as a monthly income trade or an opportunistic trade is going to determine whether when you enter. Um, you know, I have no problem entering in this environment. And if I was 56 days to expiration or whatever um, on my cycle, I would have no problem doing that. You know, that said, do you have a higher probability of, because realistically the loss scenario on this trade is the market goes up too much um, or the market comes down, you roll back and then the market goes up too much. Those are the, the, the most likely loss scenarios that, um, that you'll see. Uh, the third one is the market goes up like crazy. You end up going on top of the position like this, and then you have a very severe market down move when the trade's drawn down. Um, so those, those are the three scenarios under which you're going to lose. So if you have a technical opinion, um, you know, I would say in general, you have a better entry when the market's been up a lot. And I'd also say a better entry doesn't necessarily make for a better trade because you have to think of how the trade dynamics work out. So, you know, I might enter um, and have the market go up a lot and be scaled in three-thirds and have the market come down, go to the backside of my position, then come back up and have a nice winning trade. 
Or, you know, I might enter at the top of a market, have a fantastic entry, but the market goes down enough to kick my position back. In other words, roll it back. That's part of the strategies. And then the market takes back up uh, off again. And being way back and then scaling in on the, on the rebound could cost me the trade. In other words, I may not work. I may not make out as well. So you really have to think through the whole strategy of the position and how it works before you determine that. And just remember, a good entry doesn't necessarily make a good trade. So, and Plus, we don't really know what the market's going to do anyway. But I would say if you're up 100 points, the chances of you max-glossing max out from just a straight up run from there would be very, very, very slim. So I would say it's probably pretty high probability. Okay. All right. Why don't we actually have some more questions, but I think it'd be time. It'd probably better if you just proceed and we can catch those next. Yeah. Okay. The other thing too that he mentioned too, and I just remember this is, is exiting in a small game. So one of the things you have to remember is your trading style, whatever it is, I don't care what you do. It has to be, um, if you're doing high probability trading, you don't have the chances necessarily to make these super 300% gains like you do in directional trading. Right. So, and you do have the potential of taking relatively large losses more than expected. So, um, you know, you have a trade here that you're willing to draw down 30% in order to have a winning trade. You can't be hopping out of it every time you make five, every time you make five or 10%. Right. Because you will, you'll never cover the losing trades. Right. The math doesn't work. Right. The math doesn't work. So you always have to take the math and calculate it out. If you're in the trade, you're in the trade. If you're not, you're not. All right. Moving on. Um, do you have another question, Seth? Or? No, why don't we go on and then we can come back to that one later, a little bit later. Yeah. So anyway, I held this position here um, and the market ended up coming down. We ended up in something looks like this. And because we are 21 days to expiration and we're getting close to expiration, generally, especially for beginners, uh, again, these rules are, are made a little bit more for uh, for safety than um, somebody who's a really aggressive trader. A really aggressive trader might stay in this and go for 30, 40, 50, 60 percent. When I used to trade these, I used to try and get you know, 60, 70 percent out of them, and I used to stay in on rights of expiration. But it is risky. You can lose your profits in a matter of half a day and sometimes go to maximum loss in a day if you get a really huge move. So you can go from up fifteen or twenty thousand dollars to down fifteen or twenty thousand dollars really quickly. But the safer thing here and that's what's in the rule set is to is to reduce your profit target and kick yourself out of the trade with anything over five thousand. This case here, eleven thousand dollars, close the trade, call it a day and uh, and exit the position. Okay. So that is essentially how the trade works. And if you look at that example closely, you might see some little errors, like I even noticed them when I was doing it. But um, like I said, it's just a, um, a way to see how it works. So here is 2017. This is going to be June expiration, 56 days to expiration. We have, um, uh, we're in uh, April 21st. We enter the butterfly about the same price this time. This can vary a lot, but about $10,000 for the first third. Delta-theta ratio, 73 to 76. That's a perfectly fine entry. Um, and that's what it looks like. We go forward. Okay, we happen to get an up move. And... We started at 1360, so we have an ad point at 1400. We're at 1413. The really great part about this trade, especially early on, is I don't really care. We're not looking at the, the trade in, in the middle of the days. I don't really care if the market goes over my ad point. I, you know, if the market went to 1487, I, I all the way up into here, I don't really care. My risk is low. I'm actually better off to wait than I am to try and jam the trade in. So I can be patient. I don't have to really watch the position very much. My risk to the downside is extremely limited. Um, you'd have to have a, just a, a, a historic move you've never seen in the history of the world to um, to have an issue there. So um, that's what I really like about the trade. It's really pretty easy. Uh, simple at that point. Now it gets more complicated. You get into expiration, you got to watch it. But um, certainly at this level, not really an issue. So anyway, I'm over my add point. I go ahead, I add the position in at 20 points higher. 
looks something like this. I check my delta theta ratio. I'm about one to one here, right? And again, that's negative delta to positive theta. If it goes the other way around, we don't have that ratio anymore. It's only one direction. And um, we look like this. If we go forward more to the 26th of April, again, the market goes higher. And let's see, we're at uh, 1380 with the edge of our position. Again, we have a max loss of 15,000. We're down 4,500. I think I actually had to do an add and a roll here. And I think it's because of when I put the second third in, I, uh, or I think I had a, a delta theta issue um, putting the third third in. Let me, it looks like I probably did. Just I'm just looking at the numbers here. Let me see if that was an add and roll. So our shorts are at 1380. And no, it was just an ad. Okay, so I was able to just add here. So 1380, uh, add the 420s, it looks like this. I still have a decent looking downside. Um, this happened relatively fast, and it's surprising. Usually I have a better looking downside in this situation, but that's not the case here. Again, that varies from time to time. If we move forward here to. Okay, so April 26th and May 22nd. So this is almost a whole month sitting in the in, in the uh, in the uh, position, mm -hmm. and really nothing else happens, right? We hit our fifteen thousand dollar profit target in the process. So the market range for the next month in the range that we were in. Um, can we look at the price chart? Yeah. So we went through this, right? Boom, 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 boom. We didn't hit our profit target. We had a hard down move, which could be you know probably put us down into the edge here. We realistically do not adjust this until we get down into here somewhere. So um, so we would be fine, then we get the bounce, and we're here. Again, if this bounce had been to follow through and you stayed in, you could do better, but that's a high profit target trade. So um, that's, again, a good example. I think I have a – what time is this? 5.06. Do you want to do some questions, Seth, or – uh, well, we do have a couple questions, John. Okay. One is uh, from Tano. I have found that a bad month in this trade is usually due to an up move. Any thoughts on trading this as a broken wing butterfly, 50-point credit spread and 40-point put debit spread, add points, etc. remain same? Would you adjust profit, target, slash max loss? That's a big question. That is a big question. Right. So, and let me just go to the next trade here. Um that is a big question. Um, you can do that, right? So one of the things you've got to do, remember, is everything, no matter what you do, has pluses and minuses. So the advantage of this strategy is that if you, we go with a market cycle and the market cycle does what it's supposed to do, you can make fantastic returns uh, with a relatively small amount of you know, total risk. When you start going into broken wing butterflies, you, um, you're going to be able to withstand more of an up move. So in a bullish market, in a trending market, you're going to be better off. You're going to take more capital because a broken wing butterfly, obviously, it, it takes more capital on one side than the other. And by reducing one side of the wing, you're taking more capital on the other side. So the returns, even if it worked the same, uh, are going to be down. And if you get into a really choppy market or into a market crash, you're more likely to have a problem to the downside. Now, that doesn't mean it's a bad strategy. It's just a scaling in. You're doing a scaling in broken wing butterfly instead of a regular butterfly. You're going to give yourself a little bit more room to the upside. Um, that actually works, but it's, um, I didn't find the win rate as high over time, although probably in certain market environments, it's going to be, right? Right. Okay. Uh, next question is, um, how much of your total capital is your planned capital? Total. Yeah. Define total capital. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. I, I Right. <laughs> Define total capital. I yeah. can, as far as an account, I will put a $50,000 trade in a $50,000 account. I have no problem doing that because that's what the account's for. As far as a proportion to your net worth that is going to be an individualized thing depending on your risk tolerances and your other expectations. I mean, I don't like people to have in any options trade. I don't like people to have more than 20% of their net worth, even if they're experienced, um, unless 
they, you know, that's not to say that I haven't done it, right? Um, you know, I'm an entrepreneurial type person. I've had nearly 100% of my net worth in trades, but that is not particularly smart. It's very high risk. You're, you're risking basically losing everything. Um, if you make a mistake, if you screw up, if things don't happen the way you think they should happen, it's, um, it's not especially the smartest thing to do, but, you know, I've been known to do not the smartest things sometimes, <laughs> especially in my, you know, because, you know, there was a time we didn't have a lot of money and, and we, and that's, and, you know, trading an iron condor where you make, I don't know, five, you know, 3% a month on average or something like that. I mean, if you don't have a lot of money, then you're never going to get anywhere. So. Right. You know, you can decide to trade and take the risk. If your life situation is appropriate for that and you're that type of person, then, then hey, do it. But you realize you are risking it. So, you know, you could end up, you could end up walking away with empty pockets. But, you know, once you get a lot of money and you're, and you're doing this for income and you're kind of conservative, I mean, you don't want to have that kind of worth in there. And if you need the money, you shouldn't, be have, you shouldn't have it in the market. So, mm-hmm. okay. that's a lot of mine. Um, Someone is asking, is there an S&P 500 version of the bearish butterfly? No. Okay. There is not. You can use this as an opportunistic trade within the S&P 500, but the reality is the point movement in the S&P 500 is too much, um, and you're going to get blown out, especially to the upside a lot, and oh, some of the down moves will blow through the position because you know the S&P 500, you know, it moves 120 points plus. Um, the Russell... Anything over 40 would be extremely, extremely rare. So you have a very big point difference. And then as soon as you start widening the position out, you start running into um, issues where you're playing cap- your capital level in the trade so much it's just not worth doing. Uh, but it can be certainly be used as if you want to do it from an opportunistic standpoint where you don't think the range of the market's going to go much higher, you can certainly do that. But, but it's a lot more critical with timing. All right. We've got two sort of similar questions, John. How did the bearish butterfly handle the huge recent drop in vol pop in the bearish butterfly? Well, it's kind of Dirk's question also. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, remember the date? What date are we on here? So we were not February 5th. We, uh, okay. It's, no, yeah, but it's May 26th here. Right. So I will show you where we sit with the bearish butterfly currently. And I gotta go here, 2018, uh, March. Right, we're in March. Right. So this is the current bearish butterfly for uh, for that trade. So this was actually put on. It would have been. Let me just go to. I guess back. Tra- uh, let me go to T log here. Realistically, it's going to be hard to uh, hurt this position when it's in, when it's in one third. So this was start on the nineteenth. So if we go to the nineteenth of what February? Oh, it must have been sorry, of January, March. January. Yeah, it would have been January. Nineteenth. Mm-hmm. Um, I see, and it never went past one third. No, no, we never we never actually ended up getting scaled in, which we would have been fine if we did, but. Um, Right, but this was entry position here. Um, we never. Is that the nineteenth? We are. Let's see. We're at sixty. Yeah, so we have to be over sixteen thousand. Um, yeah, so that was entry position. The mark was actually pretty high when we ended up entering it. If we go to, uh, let's say the second. This is what we look like on the second. Um, actually, did we do a rollback? We did a rollback, I think. Oh, that was on the fifth. So that was the second. This was on no adjustments there. Right, so we're, we're even back in the position. We're actually positive delta here, right? And despite being positive delta and... I come here, despite being positive delta with a down move, this is where we ended up, right? So 
you know, this isn't like a broken wing butterfly or like a, or like a lot of the other trades where you blow out the backside and you're crying, right? So, you know, realistically, you come back here and you're um, uh, generally, especially if you're in one third, it doesn't hurt. These react very well to the downside. They react very well to high implied volatility. Yes, we lost some profit and loss, but it's, this is not catastrophic by any means on a trade with a $15,000 maximum loss, right? So um, so we're down there, and then we, we just roll it back to the money. That's the downside adjustment into something like this. And then there were basically no further adjustments, right? So if we go a couple days, you get that back and forth wiggling, the volatility drops out, and we end up with something like this. For the position, again, we again this was the day we pushed down and volatility hurt us again, right, on Thursday. And then, of course, we lightened up. And then it comes right back. And then, you know, it actually let's just go to, let's just go to the end of today, which is um, Tuesday. And we may end up scaling back in now. Right, because we did the rollback, and you know, if the market really takes off to the upside, we may end up scaling back in. But we're up $5,700 in that position, and it really never got into any trouble. Um, and realistically, if I'm in one-third, I will exit at, um, at a $10,000 uh, profit number, because if I'm only one-third entered, uh, you know, I only have $10,000 in the trade to start with. I only actually only have $8,000 in the trade right now. I figure if I get up $10,000, that's 100% on my actual invested capital, and I can't really expect much more than 100%. If, if, it's, if that's happening, things are going extremely well, and they're due to go bad. So um, I like to pop out at that point. All right, John, I'd suggest uh, you go on. We do have some more questions, but I, you know, why don't you well, just... Yeah, I mean, we can do other examples or we can just kind of talk about what we have here. I mean, there's nothing pertinent. There's just oh, more examples. Okay, so I see. So you have more examples. Yeah. So maybe then, so what you're saying is those can be skipped if need be because of answering sure. questions. Yeah, okay, yeah, great. Sure. I mean, I'd rather get people's answer, questions answered if we can. Okay. But, you, know, if, you know, whatever. Yeah. Great. So um, another question is uh, on a roll down or roll back, do you put the shorts at the money? Or twenty to thirty points below the current spot price. No, we'll put them at the money. Mm -hmm. okay. yeah, yeah, we'll put them at the money. And uh, another question is: How did the February two thousand eighteen expiration do with the large up move in January, and then the crash in February? February two January two thousand eighteen expiration. Uh, Fed. I think he's asking about the Feb. You're showing. March. Yeah, the February. The February expiration didn't withstand the up move. So, so that was about a max loss? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because mm -hmm. this, this, the up move was just – because what we had, right, so this is going to be the problematic situation where we have a, a – and that's really um, – it's rare, but it, it's um, – the situation usually with the point movement, the, the position would have handled that okay. But what happened is we had a rising market with the Russell uh, combined with a rising implied volatility. Right. So, you know, part of your T plus zero line projections in your software in general, like if you know how your software works, it is making a guess or this T plus zero line is, uh, is assuming that as the market rises, you're going to get a, um, an implied volatility drop or, or a volatility shift in the position. And what's, been, what's happened is the volatility shift was opposite of what it expected. And I think you probably noticed this even if you were in a broken wing butterfly or whatever. You have a T plus zero line that's relatively flat and the market's going up and you're just getting the position just keeps getting crushed in profit and loss. Well, that's what happened to this. So being negative delta at the end having that happen in, you're, and having a relatively large up move, you're just you're not going to sustain that. You're going to crush. I mean, it was nothing drastic. It was just kind of like a gradual crush down the position. So that was one of the losing scenarios. Yeah. Okay. And um, can this? Another one asks: Can this trade be done with Russell futures? I'm assuming he means Russell futures options. Right. Yeah. Uh, I can't see why not. Uh, I can say I'll tell you that I've never done it. I know liquidity is quite low in Russell futures options. But, uh, you know, from a theoretical standpoint, uh, yes, 
there's really no reason you can't. Uh, you're paying higher commissions, plus you're paying double commissions because commission, at least in think or swim, commissions on uh, futures are higher, and your contracts are half the size. So, um, so you are going to have a, you're going to be carrying a lot bigger commission load. Although this trade makes enough with it, usually makes up for that. Okay, but mm-hmm. but, but it can. I would not go to IWM. IWM's just got a different volatility structure. Actually, so doesn't work well. All right. You have another qu- a trade here is, um, I'm sorry, a question here is, um, how would you structure a bearish butterfly to make it work for a weekly income trade? Uh, a weekly income trade? Like, like if you're going to do a very short term? Yeah, I think it's... That's the question, yes. Yeah, because there's, there's two different things you could do, right? You could go in 56 days to expiration with the weeklies now because that's what you can I do. think he means... Uh, which um, in case would be perfectly fine. If you're going to do a very short-term trade, that's going to be a different dynamic. I mean, we can use the inter-expiration guidelines within the system if you wanted to do that. And if the, the market's relatively... Um, uh, relatively flat, it'll work out extremely well and fast, but if the market's moving fast, you'll do it. You'd have to moderate your position size. There's, there's too much to there's too much to cover in five minutes, you know. Okay. All right. Uh, and another question, interesting question, is from the time you created the strategy to today, I'm sure the index has more than doubled. Has this not affected your wing size? Why or why not? It has not affected my wind size. I and I was going to talk about this a little bit later. We can talk about it now. I started this in 2006. We've had traders trading it since 2008, and the Russell's been as high as 1600, as low as 320, and uh, always been the same wing size. The reality is the wing size has more to do with the volatility structure and the actual price movement of the asset than it does with the actual price of the asset. So um, the fact that we're at, uh, what, 1,500 right now, um, the reality is the Russell still generally moves 80 to 160 points on a a really big up move. It still has generally the same volatility structure. Um, The largest point moves it has have been relatively the same. So, So there's really been no reason to change that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And regarding rut trade fills, are you getting mid prices often, or are you usually giving up ten plus cents? Ah, well, we know mid prices is a whole big topic with me. Um, you know, what do you consider mid price? You know, a lot of people they look at the trade and they say, "Oh, it says, you know, this this butterfly is fifteen dollars or whatever," and you know that's it, it should fill at fifteen dollars. But, you know, you really have to look at synthetics. You have to look at how much that price is ranging, right? If you have a price that's ranging from 14 to $16 over a, um, you know, half an hour period, which does happen, if it's, it's ranging from 14 to $16, you can't say I'm going to buy it at 14 uh, because that's the lowest mid price I've seen in the last 20 minutes or whatever. You have to be realistic you have to get an average of the mid price you have to you know see what the market conditions are if they're for you or against you um you know so the bigger question is is you know we're testing these in option view we're doing examples in option view the bigger question isn't you know what do i do compared to mid price at any given time the bigger question is what do i do compared to option view prices if i were to just simply go in there and convert them and i know because you know every single time i do one of these trades I'll do the trade, and then I'll simply convert it in option view, and I'll compare how I did. And the reality is a lot of times I can do better than option view is telling me, and some of the times it's significantly worse. It's completely dependent on, um, on the market conditions. So, you know, there's certain market conditions where I can feel much, much better than what option view is telling me, and there's certain conditions where I just you just can't do it. It's the, the the basically the market makers know where the market's going, and they're just not going to play with you at that point. So it's very condition dependent. I would say on average over long periods of time, I can usually do a little bit better than option view. But if for any given month, I could be more or I could be less. As to how that compares to mid prices, again, it all the figure mid price is very all over the place, and you have to figure out 
where something should fill and not so much be worried about the actual mid price itself. I mean, it's, it's, it's a point where you can, you can look at it and you can get it. It's a good reference point, I guess, to start with, but you really have to look at it over time. You have to watch um, where it's fluctuation. You have to see what your synthetics are to get a realistic view of what the actual mid price of your, Options and it's a really big subject, and I think we spent. Um, I have courses where I spent hours on on this. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and and I would probably get away from that that thought process of oh, mid price posted this, therefore I have to go ten cents over. That's a bunch of crap. It's completely random, and it doesn't mean anything. So, right. Well, why don't we do this, John? We've got. Why don't we take two more questions? Um, okay. And then I want to provide everyone with some exciting news so uh let's here we go so if you are all in and have three butterflies on how uh on how easy is it to unwind all the legs without slippage right see this is a slippery thing again it's, it's about uh, a- exiting intelligently let me tell you how, let me show you how to exit a triple butterfly you have to be you want to be a little creative right so so here here i am and pretend i have a triple butterfly on um, Let's go one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. And I'll do all puts just to make it easy. Although, um, let's see, well, I'm off somewhere. One, two, three, four, five. The, the negative 20 is not 20 points. Ah, I love that one. Points. That's just that's why. I'm having trouble counting to three. <laughs> Uh, okay, so... And that one's probably up too, yeah. Right. And this one's got to come up too. And then we have uh, our minus 20 here. Uh, and then uh, 10 is going to be here. And then 10 is going to be here, right? And it's going to... Well, I'll convert this for now. We'll take it out later. Uh, convert this. So I have this trade here. And I want to exit it. There's several ways that I could exit it. Um, but I want to exit it in as flat a delta manner as possible while reducing my risk. So, And it depends on where I am in the butterfly. So if I was excessively negative delta, I'd pull off the lower butterfly. And then I'd pull off this, the, the center two separately. If I was way down here, I'd pull off the upper one. And then I would uh, exit the center two the way I'm going to show you. So here I happen to be in the middle. If I'm in the middle, what I'm going to do is I'm going to dump out of. I want to exit this in a flat delta position. So I'm going to. So I'm going to, I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, instead of trying to force my way out and. So this is the problem that a lot of people have. They try to exit their positions. They go to you know I'm in a delta neutral position on my exit here. I don't want to go to drastically positive or drastically negative delta on my way out. Because that puts me in a situation where I have to force myself out of the rest of the trade. I have to accept what execution I can get. Right. And, uh, you know, I put my and if the price moves the wrong way, I lose a bunch of money. So rather than doing that, you know, I can come in here and I can I can do this gradually and I can, I can get execution pricing. I can say, look, I'm going to enter. I'm going to exit this center butterfly and, you know, uh, I'll fool around with the execution to do the best that I can on the way out. I might do better than option view. I might do worse than option view. I don't know. But um, but I pull this center position out. So I go minus 10 here. Right? And this puts me in a condor, essentially, a double butterfly condor, and it reduces my gamma risk. And, you know, if I don't get out of this position today, who cares? Right? It's a position that's still very good. And if 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 um, I have to stay in it till tomorrow, you know, so be it. It's better than being in the position full size. My risk, my side to side risk is a lot. So I pull this out and I can negotiate that. Everything's fine. Let me convert this out, and I end up in a position like this. Now from here, if I'm here and I'm in the center, whether I got here from pulling out the center butterfly or whether I got here from being over here and pulling an end butterfly or being over here and pulling an end butterfly, it doesn't matter. I'm essentially in a double butterfly, right? Again, I want to exit this position as flat delta as possible. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to do the condor. I take my long strikes that are the furthest out. I take them out. I buy back 10 of these. I buy back 10 of these. And I sell 10 of these. 
And I put myself in this position. Again, this is a position I can be patient, I can negotiate, I can you know, wait till things go my way or pricing lightens up. It puts me in a position where if I get partway out of my position, I don't really care because I wouldn't have too much trouble staying in this position overnight if I was in the other position. And heck, I might even make a little bit more money and my gamma risk is down, my total risk is way down, and then we just exit the last part of the position as the last order. And you come out nice, flat, um, again, this is in a relatively quiet market or, or market that's not moving too, too fast. If you have to do a panic exit, we'd do something different. But in you know 90% of the time, this is the way I'm exiting my triple butterfly. And then I just convert those out flat. Okay? Very good. Well, John, um, I, I don't hear you, Seth. You cannot hear me. All right. Can you hear me right now? I can hear you now. Okay, super. Great. So uh, what I would like to do um, while we've got everybody's attention is to talk about a unique opportunity for everybody. Great. Do you um, want to take screen control? There you yes, go. I, I did. I did. And um, that is that we are having a sale, for lack of a better word, on the bearish butterfly. And to review what's in the, the uh, bearish butterfly video course, uh, that John produced for us. Um, number one is session one is the trade guidelines. Session two is trading the trade in an average month. Session three is dealing with uh, market rallies in the trade. And session four is dealing with large sell-offs. So pretty much every scenario that you're going to face is going over in great detail um, unbelievable amount of detail uh, in this course. It's a tre tremendously information-packed course. Session five goes over incremental adjustability. These were bonus sessions that were actually added after right. the and course that, was. That's a session two that talks about dealing with a small position if you're going to do $5,000, for example. Yes, that's right. And then there's the bearish butterfly in an extremely bullish market. Uh, that's some bonus material that was added to the course also. So this is this is a great deal, this course. And normally it goes for 975 uh, through February 28th, so 15 more days. Um, it's 15% off uh, in the low 800s. And uh, you, we, to get the exact price and to get some more information for those of you who are you know, interested in the strategy, um, it is found at bearishbutterfly.com. And don't forget, if you are an OptionsTribe.com premium member, which many of you are, you get an additional 5% rebate off of the program and uh, any other program, in fact, that we sell, you would get that rebate. Uh, I, I just want to re recall to um, a conversation John and I had um, sometime over the last six, seven months, and I asked him, of all your strategies, which one is your favorite? And he said, that's easy. My favorite strategy is the bearish butterfly. And that was actually the first one that I remember you developing. You may have developed the others before that, but it's the first one. When I, when I began to focus on your trading style, the bearish butterfly was what caught my attention. It's a terrific trade. The only thing I want to you know mention to everybody is it has a uh, drawdown potential larger than most other strategies. So you've got to think in terms of you know the max loss when you trade this because it's going to happen uh, at one point or another while you trade it. And uh, while it can have spectacular gains also, you know, you can get those drawdowns and you need to be aware of that. So please be aware of that. But having said that, um, over time, it's one of John's highest, if not it's high, his highest return strategy. And it is a terrific strategy. I personally trade it uh, six, seven times a year myself on SMB's options trading desk. So, um, I would like to just quickly point out to everybody that you can uh, join OptionsTribe.com as a premium member. That way you'll get another 5% off of the uh, sale price on the Bearish Butterfly plus all of our other uh, strategies. And the way you do that is by going to OptionsTribe.com, clicking on the Join tab, and then you can join as a premium member. It's only 30 bucks a month. And you get, by the way, John does a... a, a trade review of his trade on SMB's Options Trading Desk every Monday morning at 10 a.m. That only premium members can attend. You get 5% off of uh, all SMB Options Trading 
uh, products, um, you get to see all of the recordings. For example, John's been on uh, the Options Tribe dozens and dozens of times. You, you can review all of those sessions, which are extremely valuable. Uh, you can go back and watch all of John's weekly trade reviews going back to the beginning of his ha having uh, uh, done that with us. And so, uh, and, and of course, you get a recording and most of the presentations, PowerPoints uh, of the traders who present are attached. So you can download those and study them, you know, on your own. On, on, in most cases, we have those attached. So it's just this giant library of terrific information about option strategies. That, and we've been doing this pushing push uh, seven years now. If you want to get opportunity to get a fantastic information-packed strategy uh, video series, Bearish Butterfly, then act before February 28th to get uh, John's Bearish Butterfly strategy, and you go to bearishbutterfly.com to get more information and to order the series. So, John, I want to thank you very, very much for your excellent presentation on the Bearish Butterfly and all the questions that you answered. It was like a press conference today, and you, did, you handled yourself well. Well, that's great. Thank you. I, I, thanks, everybody, for joining me. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. All right. Take care, John, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Goodbye, everybody.